BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Journalists attack Megan and pay the price. The royals celebrate Christmas with Sandringham and speeches. And Prince Andrew faces more official evidence that his former life is over. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And happy holidays to everyone around the world, including the royals. Though it may not have been a particularly happy holiday for everyone. For a start, Politico has been firefighting and after an article lumped Meghan Markle in with Donald Trump, Elon Musk, Kanye West and others on a list of narcissists. And this came just a week after Jeremy Clarkson, who is a long-standing, really controversial British commentator. Um, he was kind of made famous by Top Gear, for anyone who knows that show. It's been sold around the world. And he wrote in The Sun that Meghan should be made to parade naked while the public throw excrement at her. So, Kristen, Wow, what do we do with all of this? Oof. Uh, well, I have to say, first of all, it just confirms everything Megan said about the toxic press. She she specifically was referring to the toxic UK tabloids in Harry and Megan, their Netflix documentary. Um, everything she and Harry said about how they incite hatred, incite violence against her, uh, making comparisons between her and Donald Trump. I mean, come on. Donald Trump actually, by his own admission, uh, sexually assaults women because he can. Uh, you know, he brags about it. He has done hateful things that are racist, xenophobic. He's passed policies that actually hurt people in a real, like I said, legal political sense. So to be lumping Meghan Markle in with Donald Trump, as well as Elon Musk and Kanye West, who have also done just terrible things and said terrible things, that makes no sense to me. And it just, like I said, it just proves what she and Harry said is totally true about how the press treat her. Um, and the Jeremy Clarkson thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, I, he later on said he apologized. Uh, no. Sort of. Yeah, he didn't apologize exactly. And he didn't apologize directly to Megan. He, he, he essentially just said, oh, he was horrified by the outcry of it. But his own daughter spoke out against him. And uh, there were over 20,000 complaints that were issued to the UK's independent press standards organization because of that editorial. There's just so much that's wrong uh, on both their parts, both Politico and The Sun for publishing that editorial by Jeremy Clarkson. Both of them are 100% in the wrong and 100% backing up everything that the Sussexes have said. 
It's an interesting and really enduring feature of the whole Harry and Meghan saga that, that you know, it is a debate and people are entitled to disagree with them. But whenever this debate fires up, somebody will always pop up and say something that's so completely horrendous and beyond the pale that, you know, even people who kind of would criticise them cannot help but at points side with them against stuff like this. I mean, Clarkson is, he, I, I don't know how well you know him as a person. I mean, his reputation dates back decades. I grew up with people getting angry about things that Jeremy Clarkson had said in the media um, and he actually has previous on Top Gear um, because he was filmed uh, using racially um, abusive language uh, during Top Gear as well He there was an initial scandal some years ago because he used a, uh, a racist slur against Asian people um, during filming and he then told you you may know the kind of rhyme eeny meeny miny mo which has yes. uh, yeah it has a yeah. kind of racist former wording which he in a kind of un unbroadcast segment of the show he had he had said it using the racist wording this is all years ago now but Clarkson, obviously, hugely controversial figure dating back years and years and years. And, you know, obviously, I'm sure Meghan and Harry would have been appalled and horrified to see what he wrote equally, like you say. Like, he has kind of proved their point at a time when probably a lot of people in, in Britain would have been arguing in favour of the royal family. But it was it really united the commentariat. It was that appalling. Yeah. Um, and united not just the public around... Uh, Megan, but also people who you think would not be united around her necessarily. Um, politicians, uh, I'm talking over 60 people, including both conservative and more liberal who are MPs who spoke out against um, this kind of abuse. For example, Carolyn Noakes, a conservative politician and the chair of the Women and Equalities Committee, said in a letter to the Sun's editor that Clarkson's language had no place in our country, and it is unacceptable that it was allowed to be published in a mainstream newspaper. She says quite a bit more than this, but those are some of the strongest words that you'll see there. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson's own daughter spoke out against Jeremy Clarkson and what he said. And on top of that, the son essentially had to issue an official apology on their website saying, uh, we will continue to campaign for good causes on behalf of our readers in 2023, which made no sense to me because I don't think they actually usually do campaign on behalf of good causes. But uh, they said that they have a proud history of campaigning on behalf of domestic abuse victims and refugees, and um, that they'll continue to do that. And they apologized for publishing that piece. They pulled it not just from their website, but from their archives. Um, yeah. So it's just uh, it's all actually exceptionally rare for the son to voluntarily apologize to anything. It's kind of one of the things they're known for is that they just never apologize. Uh, they do upset people sporadically from time to time. And they obviously there have been times when they've had to do apologies because of a, an adverse ruling against them by Ipso, Britain's press regulator. Um, but they almost never voluntarily apologize about things. So I think that does reflect like how serious this whole side 
saga has been that they kind of did this voluntarily within days of publication. I can't actually think off the top of my head of another time when they've done that, when they've apologised without being made to apologise. Um, mm. The Sun's editor, Victoria Newton, clearly uh, regrets it. And I can just picture this being a situation where probably, it, you know, it must have been reviewed on what you would call the back bench, the kind of senior editorial team. And I'm sure that people must have picked up on it. And I can just picture this being a situation where no one actually had the guts to ring up Jeremy Clarkson and tell him that it had to be changed. Uh, what with him being like a big name celebrity with a massive profile. Um, so I think there will be there would have been an inquest at the Sun as well. They will not have liked having to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's on both them and on Clarkson. Clarkson wrote all of these violent, ugly words, but the Sun chose to publish this. And so yeah. it's not just on one person. It's on an entire editorial staff that played along and let this be published. And, and they now know that they did the wrong thing here. They absolutely should not have done this. They know they shouldn't have done this. But um, yeah, I agree with you, Jack. It is surprising because they don't usually issue apologies. And the fact that they kind of did while simultaneously kind of backpedaling and defending themselves like we've always stood on the right side of history which not true at all not true at all on their part but jack i also have to point out some of the public outcry about the fact that just a day before this editorial by jeremy clarkson was published queen camilla was at a luncheon hanging out with piers morgan and jeremy clarkson as well as some other notable a-list british stars And um, that really left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, including mine, where it's like, oh, my gosh, Camilla, why are you keeping company with these people who say such terrible things about your daughter-in-law? Why? Why? It's definitely a a thing that Charles and Camilla might need to think very carefully about is who they allow themselves to be positioned next to. They've obviously hired their current um, press spokesperson as a former executive at the Daily Mail. And with all these issues around the UK media being so charged, um, yeah, it's a it's anything that where it builds up with multiple examples all supporting the same point can start to get what you would call cut through, where like kind of ordinary people are starting to. Pick pick up and create a long-term association between a public figure and a particular idea. And if Giles and Camilla allow this idea to develop that they are connected to the kind of British tabloids or the right-wing media, uh, right-wing, you know, quite quite outspoken, polemic right-wing pundits like Piers Morgan, Jeremy Clarkson, they could very easily suddenly wake up one day and discover that they've lost their kind of ability to unite the country because they've become associated with a particular side of a debate or arguments. Yeah. And lest people say, oh, Camilla didn't know who else was on the guest list at that luncheon. Uh, that this, this isn't something Camilla should have to, you know, in any way account for. Um, earlier this year, Camilla named Jeremy Clarkson one of her countryside champions for his promotion of agricultural work. He has this TV show called Clarkson's Farm. Um, and she named him one of the people who she really looks up to. But what what I find so odd about that is Clarkson's farm, I'm not sure if you know, has come under fire from 
the county that it's in for actually kind of destroying <laughs> the agricultural community that he built his farm on and trying to turn it into a tourist attraction in a place that's supposed to be a beautiful, natural, agrarian community. And so the people around him do not see him as a champion of the countryside in the slightest. So Camilla, she's come to his defense before. This this is not a good alliance at this moment, uh, not environmentally, and certainly not in terms of what's being done and said about Megan. I'd be very interested to know whether anybody from the palace got in touch with Jeremy Clarkson and had a word in his ear about the kind of non-apology apology that he gave. Um, but I'm sure that is something we will never know. Um, but one thing that's really interesting about the Politico example, which marks it out as different to the uh, incident with the Sun, is that obviously this was an American journalist based in Boston. Um, and that is something we're less accustomed to. Politico is not the kind of publication that we are used to criticizing Harry and Meghan. They're, you know, sure thing, we're used to the likes of your kind of Meghan Kellys and uh, your right-wing pundits in America coming out and saying disparaging things about them, your Candace Owens calling them the Duke and Duchess of Woke or whatever it might be. But I didn't see this coming from Politico. No, not at all. They are people who call people to task who are actually politically causing harm in the world. Uh, They report on Capitol Hill News. They are not people who just decide to drag people like Megan over the coals. That's not something they normally do. Now, uh, there's been huge, huge widespread backlash about this. Uh, some of it re- accused Politico of misogynoir um, and of basically undermining a woman's attempt to call out racism in the media. Obviously, we had more in the Netflix documentary about racism in the media than racism in the royal family. That was more what we got in Oprah, where Meghan uh, told the world that a royal, unnamed royal family member had expressed concern about how dark her unborn baby's skin might be. They didn't say too much about that in Netflix, except for a kind of very short section where Megan said she was surprised that that had been the big take home from Oprah. Um, But, I mean, Politico have tried to do a little clear up job. They tweaked their headline to add the word opinion to create a little bit more distance between the publication itself and Joanna Weiss, the journalist's um, opinions and they've uh, done a little bit of messaging saying you know she is one of 600 journalists she was actually a contributing writer she was initially noted down as a contributing editor Um, and I think there was a a tweet they deleted and replaced with another one that made it clearer that this was her views rather than the views of the magazine itself Um, now this is quite interesting because obviously they have sort of backed her in the sense that they haven't deleted or changed anything that she wrote, but they have also kind of said, well, actually, you know, this really isn't us. And, you know, I suppose grouping her in with the people that they did is is not quite as incendiary as what Jeremy Clarkson said about parading Megan naked through the streets of every town in the UK while the citizens through excrement at her the other thing is you know i'm trying to think is you know do harry and megan need to in any way be worried about any of this i think with politico that article kind of spontaneously combusts because it's so obviously absurd to as you say lump them together with these other figures and um 
it, I do genuinely think that it is actually possibly more about putting them alongside Donald Trump and so on than it is about the word narcissist. Piers Morgan calls them narcissists every 20 minutes. Uh, any Anybody who will be happy enough to lend their ear to Piers Morgan will, I'm sure, hear him say that Meghan is a narcissist. I think what's different about this is the juxtaposition with Trump on the one hand, but also the fact it's Politico, which I guess leans slightly progressive or is associated with, uh, at the very least, a more balanced uh, approach. But the, I, I, do you feel, Kristen, like maybe there is a slightly different atmosphere now to the atmosphere that followed Oprah? I remember, like, the, after Oprah, it was so dramatic, and the story, particularly about Meghan's suicidal feelings, was so heart wrenching that it did feel like an atmosphere in which none of this stuff could possibly have been written. Obviously, Piers Morgan said some inflammatory things and lost his place in Good Morning Britain, but it's very difficult to believe that Politico would have done that story after Oprah. And in fact, I went back and Joanna Weiss, the same journalist, did actually write something after Oprah. And it was a much more kind of nuanced, balanced piece about how her timeline had been divided between conservatives and liberals and conservatives were against Harry and Meghan and liberals were supportive of them, but she didn't really jump off the fence herself do you feel like the atmosphere is different this time around yeah i do i mean i i have seen a number of commentators and of course on social media uh people saying well you know we we knew a lot of these things already now it just feels like in your netflix series you're just rehashing them and digging in your heels and are we supposed to be sympathetic when you're just rehashing the same stuff is what i've seen you know, some editorialists say. Um, and and I don't think they would have said that immediately after the Oprah interview. Um, at, at that point, it was fresh. Uh, at that point, a lot of these points were surprising. This time around in the Netflix series, there weren't, you know, the same moments of shock so much as more elaboration, more details that came um, out of the woodwork, uh, things that maybe we suspected uh, that were confirmed, but not necessarily the same, you know, agonizing and heart-wrenching moments that uh, were a shock for the first time. This time around, uh, it, it, it was different. So yeah, I agree with you, Jack. I do think it's a different atmosphere. And some, I think some, uh, I think there was an article in Variety, as I recall, suggesting that Harry and Meghan may not be able to return to the story about their royal life again. What do you think of that? I mean, obviously, we got Harry's memoir, which 100%. I was going to say that. I was, was going to say, well, it's a little late for that now. The memoir's coming out in a few days. Huge detail on exactly that story. So that, yeah, and I, we will obviously <laughs> also be reporting endlessly about it. So there's going to be another avalanche of stories about it. Um, yes. But I suppose like maybe there's some validity to the idea that if there's anything else that they still want to say, now is definitely the time to say it. Um, because if they, you know, for example, we still don't know who the royal racist is. And the, I guess the longer they leave that, if they are ever going to tell that story, I guess they shouldn't really leave it too late. If they leave it too late, then it might start to look like they've just run out of other things to say. If based on some of the coverage of Netflix, it feels like some people might make that point. Yeah, but, um, you know, just to give Harry and Meghan credit, it does seem they know that. And, uh, you know, 
the newest series that Harry and Meghan are producing with their Archwell Foundation uh, for Netflix is not about their story. It's about highlighting the good work of other people in the world. It's much more on the same page as something that, you know, the Obamas would produce. And so yeah. uh, it, it's not looking at their own story. It's not looking at their royal life. It, it really is trying to celebrate others. And Netflix did release a trailer for that, um, perhaps understanding the optics of things and knowing, all right, all of this information is out there. Now it's time to shift gears with the media empire of Archwell. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that Harry, Meghan, and Netflix know that the public is now thirsty for other things from Harry and Meghan that are not just about that, but about moving forward. And it is not going to be a very long wait. In fact, it is coming on New Year's Eve. Uh, the new Netflix show is called Live to Lead. It's going to look at some people in public life who have played leadership roles. Everybody from Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Greta Thunberg, who's in the news at the moment after having a row with uh, Andrew Tate. And obviously, it's also paying a huge tribute to Nelson Mandela, who is a figure that we've heard much about Harry and Meghan's affection for in the past. We will discuss that on our next episode of The Royal Report. And we have lots more to discuss today. But first, we have to take a quick break. When we're back, the royals celebrate Christmas. But not all is well in Sandringham. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hello, everyone. We are back with a look at how the royals celebrated their first Christmas minus the queen. But that's right. And continuing in, obviously, the Queen's tradition, King Charles brought his family together at Sandringham for Christmas. They all had a, they had, the royals give their presents on Christmas Eve. Then on Christmas Day, they went to church at Sandringham and we got to see them all out in force. We had some lovely, lovely shots, Kristen. Tell us more about that. Oh, yes. Well, Prince Louis... Always bringing the energy and the antics. He stood out to many of us. Uh, He was running around greeting the public. Uh, One member of the public uh, wanted to give flowers to Charlotte and he insisted, oh, let me bring them to her. So he definitely brought the energy. It was his first time actually being part of this walkabout on Christmas and, and just an adorable presence. But of course, um, you know, it, it wasn't just adorableness. It was also certain problematic members of the family in the walkabout as well, namely Prince Andrew. He was there. <laughs> Prince Andrew was there to make other people feel better about their own weird family members who they have to see at Christmas Day. <laughs> he was there. So if you're like, oh, God, you know, Uncle whatever, Uncle Patrick, whatever his name is, I cannot believe I've got to sit next to him at Christmas dinner. Well, at least you didn't have Andrew walking you to Sandringham, walking you to church in Sandringham. Oh, my gosh. What struck me about it as well was like you could even see it on his face that he knows he shouldn't be there. Like he was kind of really scowly, like almost he had the face of a villain as he walked with the royal family. 
Yes. And, you know, the royals, I think they're just confused about what are we supposed to do with this guy? He is a member of the family and Christmas is for family. He's going to be here. But at the same time, we don't really want the world to think about him. So we're going to blur him out in all the official photos. (laughs) Did you see that, Jack? (laughs) That all of these official press photos, um, ones coming from the family, they kept Charles, Camilla, William, and Kate in very sharp focus. And then uh, the members of the family behind them, specifically Prince Andrew, are conveniently cropped out or blurred out in a very, very obvious, not subtle way at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think the royals probably have a bit of a predicament, which is that if they do just cast Andrew into the wilderness, then there is the slight danger that he'll start talking to the media or, you know, trying to write books, do other things like that, which will obviously cause complete carnage and bring reputational devastation onto the monarchy. So it is a very, very grubby business, which I certainly hope they all feel incredibly icky about because it is incredibly icky. But yeah, I can kind of get why if they were just like, okay, we're cutting you off completely, you get nothing, you can't come to Sandringham, we're never going to see you again. And then all of a sudden, like that press release drops, Prince Andrew's autobiography published by (laughs) Penguin Random House. (laughs) I I think there might be, yeah, a little bit of regret under those circumstances. But it doesn't mean that it isn't like a yucky thing. Like it is a yucky thing, right? But Jack, we have to also talk, in addition to the walkabout, uh, we have to talk about the King's Christmas speech. I watched it um, earlier than you did, because uh, here in New Zealand, I'm here with my um, in-laws right now and my husband. Uh, it, It was broadcast earlier here, and we all gathered around to watch the King's speech. And um, I'm just going to tell you, the first thing out of my mother-in-law's mouth after it was all done was like, ugh. What a waste of time. What was that? (laughs) (laughs) But tell me, what was she hoping for? Was she hoping for like a Harry and Meghan, you know, reference or like, was she, what was she after? What was she looking for? Well, she just felt it really lacked something that the queen always brought. The queen, she said, in her opinion, always uh, didn't just look back. She also looked forward. And Mm. it seemed that Charles did no looking forward. And um, didn't actually, you know, talk about what his plans were or what his hopes were. The whole speech was looking back, and it was very vanilla. And so that's really what my mother-in-law was saying. Like, what yeah, was that? Right. That was a whole pile of nothing. <laughs> he gave headline writers a tiny little bit to work with because he praised kind of nurses and ambulance workers who are striking at the moment, and therefore there's this kind of whole big controversial debate. The army. He also pra- yeah praised the army as well, and they've been brought in to kind of break the strikes but it was like you say it was all pretty pretty vanilla and none of it was very controversial though you know if you, it, it is a sad day in britain if you can't be nice to nurses like who doesn't want to be nice to nurses <laughs> even if people there are people who are upset about the strikes everyone wants to be nice to nurses let's be honest um and he yeah he said he didn't do the classic kind of setup that the queen always did where she was she would always be sat at the desk and you would get to see which photos were on there and then that's something to debate about obviously everybody was going to be looking out for whether there was a picture of Harry and Meghan on the desk but he did it standing up in St. George's Chapel so that was not an issue 
Yes. Um, but he did, in his own way, shout out certain people and ignore other people. You know, obviously, he shouted out his mother. He thanked all of the public for their condolences, uh, said that the expressions of love meant a great deal to him and to Camilla. He shouted out William and Kate. Um, and then Throughout the speech, there were all of these um, bits and pieces of video footage showing the royals, you know, doing their work, going to charitable events, going to ribbon cuttings and so on. And amongst them, we obviously saw William and Kate. We saw Camilla. We also saw Anne, Sophie, and Edward. Those were the only royals that were really included in this video footage. But Notably, it wasn't all just, you know, handshakes, hugs, and curtsies. Some of this video footage was taken from recent events that um, some might call awkward. Um, do you want to tell us about that, Jack? <laughs> yeah, so they included like some clips from the visit to York where Charles was, well, uh, allegedly egged. Um, so there's a guy <laughs> who's being prosecuted right now. He has the right to a fair trial. So we will try to keep within the boundaries of, uh, you know, of the British Contempt of Court Act. However, obviously, there is a photograph, I think it's fairly uncontroversial to say, of an egg in midair above Charles's head. Nothing hits him. Um, but yeah, like it, it was literally kind of virtually from that moment of the egging. You can kind of see the same bridge in the background that Charles was nearby at the point that this egg incident took place. And then the, they also included some little clips of Camilla visiting Bernardo's, visiting a Bernardo's nursery. Bernardo's is a big children's charity in Britain. Um, and when she went there, uh, there was this big kind of social media uproar afterwards because there was a little girl, um, who's a, li a little black girl, whose hand she kind of really awkwardly lifted up by the sleeve. Um, it, there was a kind of possible defense that maybe she was trying to see the girl's bracelet, although it was still all incredibly awkward. Um, and some people were basically suggesting that this, you know, were reading in a racial dimension to the way that Camilla was treating this little girl, like as in if it, this was a little white girl, or would she actually just have kind of like maybe asked to see the bracelet and let the girl show her or something like that so it was it was a big uproar at the time but the royals kind of put these clips in anyway yeah um i sometimes they do things i do not understand they seem to care a lot about optics a lot of the time and then other times it's like oh come on Come on, people. Did nobody check this before they released this? But, <laughs> but then again, just, Jack, you and I are just looking more closely, perhaps, than some people at this. I'm sure we are looking much more closely than some people, yeah. I mean, if you want to look closer still, perhaps they're kind of trying to say we weren't damaged by these things. But, I mean, mm. you know, maybe they're, maybe that is looking too close. I don't know. But that's one possible read on it. Yeah. Maybe. Um, <laughs> also just want to point out that Charles was not the only senior royal making a speech this year. Uh, Kate Middleton hosted another charity carol concert. Um, you may remember last year she surprised everybody at that concert by uh, playing the piano. Not everybody knew that Kate played the piano and she played the piano beautifully. And this year at the concert, she gave a little speech giving tribute to the Queen. And she stressed the importance of family and showing empathy and compassion for others. Um, nothing especially shocking or surprising at all about Kate's speech, just a very... Uh, you know, once again, a vanilla speech at Christmas time. 
Yes, exactly. You again, you know, some people might want to read a coded message in, but if it's about kind of talking about family after Harry and Meghan's Netflix show, obviously got into some family rifts. But I mean, again, like if it's if it's a coded message, it's a very heavily coded message. Um, I think probably (laughs) the most likely interpretation is that, like, she, you know. It's Christmas. It is a time when people do talk about family. So, uh, Kate doesn't really go in for that, like, you know, kind of shade, subtle shade in her words. Her words have always been incredibly kind of like risk free. She's, yes. she's quite a risk averse person with the things she says. Yes, yes. Risk adverse. And, um, you know, maybe it means she doesn't get a lot of headlines, but I think she would prefer that to being, you know, Uh, splashed across the covers for um, saying things that might be scandalous. So, yep, that that was the other big Christmas speech this year. Neither speech especially exciting, in my opinion. We are going to take one more quick break. But before we do, just a reminder, please do follow us on Twitter. I am at Jack underscore Royston and Kristen is at Kristen Meinzer. We always have royal updates there as well as my latest stories for Newsweek. And when we're back, Prince Andrew receives official proof that his comeback is not happening. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, everyone. We're back with one last story about Prince Andrew and the squashing of his comeback dreams. Yes, that's right. It has been reported for months now that Andrew has wanted to squeeze back into the good graces of the public and of the royal family. Obviously, he settled a sexual assault lawsuit brought by Virginia Jeffrey, in which she accused him of raping her. Um, he actually first stepped down from royal life even further ago than that back in November 2019. Um, but also more recently, his kind of honorary military titles and patronages were stripped from him in a kind of symbolic gesture. One of the Queen's last major uh, interventions on Prince Andrew back at the beginning of 2022, um, before obviously she passed away in September. Now, those some of those honorary titles have started to be handed around. Yes, they have. Shortly before Christmas, it was announced that Charles gave Queen Camilla the colonelcy of the British Army's Grenadier Guards. That is a mouthful. (laughs) The role was a Falkland War veteran Andrew's most cherished army role. He took over that role from his father, Prince Philip, in 2017. He loved that role. It meant a great deal to him. Additionally, it was announced that Kate Middleton has taken over as Colonel of the Irish Guards for her husband, a role that William had held since 2011. And William has now been appointed Colonel of the Welsh Guards, taking over from his father. So lots of military titles going around. And um, yeah, Andrew not getting any of them back that he would like to. 
Yeah, I think on Andrew, the Grenadier Guards in particular, I think, will be quite relieved about this because it's been reported for a long time that they felt in a bit of a state of limbo having this guy that none of them can really look up to uh, representing them when actually, you know, they could have uh, they could have spent the last few years having a different royal representative. Obviously, the purpose of having that kind of honorary royal connection is to kind of lift spirits, to kind of show uh, your troops, you know, your armed forces that they matter and that the state cares about them. Uh, And this stuff really matters to the royals as well. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of keen and attentive listeners will have picked up all the stuff about Prince Harry losing his role as Captain General of the Royal Marines. Um, The royals really do care. And uh, Andrew, so much so, in fact, when he actually served in the armed forces, he was in the Navy. And there was all that stuff you might remember, Kristen, when it came to Prince Philip's funeral, of him intending to go to the funeral wearing the uniform of an Mm -hmm. admiral, even though he'd never actually been promoted to the rank he kind of felt like he'd been promised it for his 60th birthday this honorary title of admiral when he was only a rear admiral um so yeah it matters to them this is state this is royal status in action yes um i will say that on state side we frequently look at these uh, official events where the royals are wearing uniforms and we think they look like sergeant pepper extras because have any of you actually served in the military have any of you actually seen war before um in andrew's defense and i am never going to say that again in andrew's defense he actually has seen (laughs) war um you know and harry has and so to see some of these members of the royal family you know anne edward and so on wearing these military uniforms it doesn't necessarily stateside at least uh, strike the same chord as it seems to inside Buckingham Palace, where they're very proud of themselves wearing those outfits um, or costumes or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I think the, it does get commented on in Britain. I think the medals in particular is a kind of recurring theme that comes up again and again. Prince Edward has like a, quite a large number of medals. I think it's something in the ballpark of seven, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he actually dropped out of basic training for the Royal Marines. So he kind of he went into it and then he didn't complete it, which is totally fine. Like it's not for everybody. Who's to say it would be for me? Like maybe I can complete Royal Marines basic training either. But also maybe don't then you know walk around with a chest full of medals as though you've served and you know been honored for your role in conflict it's it is weird like it's a weird thing it is i also though i mean i i understand that right now there are so few senior royals left that you know who do you give these titles to who do you give these traditions to however wacky these traditions with these medals might appear to those of us on the outside um you know, there aren't that many senior royals left with only 11 of them. What are you going to do? I, I guess Kate is the head of a military arm right now. Um, you know, the, yeah. the, there just aren't that many at this point. Well, also, let's just all keep our fingers crossed for there to be no wars for George, Louis and Charlotte to fight in. Because, you know, hopefully you would kind of not want them to have to go out and serve and on, go onto the front line and, you know, your fire on the enemy for their country because uh, you know fingers crossed hopefully we won't actually get to that point um, oh i would hope that for nobody royal or not nobody's life should have to be put on the line for national interests i would hope that nobody would have to face war not the royal children not anybody's children um war is a horrendous thing um but back to andrew for one second here 
Um, I, I just want to note here that uh, we all know that one of Andrew's biggest defenders, his ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson, um, you know, she's still coming to his defense. In a Christmas message for her charity, Sarah's Trust, Fergie uh put out a call for forgiveness and family unity. And this is the part that jumped out at a lot of us. She said, quote, let's stop the judgment. Let's stop looking at someone on face value and not looking into their hearts and souls and saying, we're here for you. We embrace you. We love you. And it was hard. We love you. I mean, come on. (laughs) Like, come on. It was hard not to hear those words, Fergie, and think you're talking about Andrew. After all, I mean, not only has she come to his defense many, many times over the years, um, just as recently as this July, she said that Andrew is a very good and kind man and that she would, given the chance, marry him all over again. Um, so it, it was hard not to you know, hear that Christmas message from Fergie and think, mm, that's interesting timing. It's coming right after those military titles have been redistributed. Um, she sure yeah. loves him. We love you. I mean, we embrace you. <laughs> the only thing that stopped the judgment was a large quantity of cash delivered to Virginia Jeffrey. So um, I think it's it's an extraordinary thing for Fergie to say. Um, and to say, let's not judge someone at face value. I mean, come on. Like this guy who he... he for most of his life was treated as at the absolute pinnacle of society basically because he was a royal not because of anything he'd done you know even though he served in the Falklands which he did he still kind of wasn't judged as being at the pinnacle of society because of his service he was judged because he was a royal Um, and it's actually only when we knew a little bit more about the content of his heart and soul that people started to actually form a very very different opinion of him so to say that, oh, you know, we, we need to look into his heart and soul, like that is ridiculous. And oh, yeah. she is not the person to decide whether it's time for the judgment to stop. As you said, we have looked into his heart and soul. He has revealed it, and we don't like what we see. Maybe you don't do the walkabout at Sandringham. Maybe not. New Year's resolution. Well, Jack, listeners, that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. <laughs>